Well, I am much more blandly dressed than Zach, and I have no juicy political illustrations like Joshua, so, so I apologize for the boredom that you're about to experience. But, in all seriousness, welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. We're glad you're here this morning. Now, the past two weeks, we have read some of Jesus' parables. In week one, we read the parable of the sower. And then in week two, we read several smaller parables about the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign over creation, ushered in by Christ. The parable of the sower taught us that not all who hear the gospel will believe it. The same way not every seed that is sown takes root and produces a harvest. And last week's parables taught us that God's kingdom will grow by God's power, not yours and not mine. It also taught us that the growth of God's kingdom may not always be obvious or quick, but it is coming. And we also learned that God's kingdom might not be all that impressive now. After all, it does revolve around a cross. But one day when the risen Christ returns, the kingdom's glory and majesty will be undeniable. Now, this all was meant to be an encouragement of sorts to Jesus' disciples back then. But it should also be an encouragement to Jesus' disciples today, because we serve the same kingdom that they served. But today we shift from Jesus' parables and start to focus on Jesus' power. Especially back in Mark chapter 2, we saw some of Jesus' authority on display. He's the Christ, the Son of God. And because of that, he can do things that the religious leaders who opposed him, and you and me, cannot do. In fact, he did things that only God can do. He forgives a man's sin. And he makes that same paralyzed man walk. He cleansed a leper. He worked miracles on the Sabbath. Now, the religious leaders didn't approve of any of this. They rejected Jesus' divine authority, even though it was clearly right in front of them. But really, those stories about Jesus' authority were just the beginning. In today's passages, we see Jesus' raw power. This time around, the religious leaders are not really in sight. But still, not everyone who sees what Jesus will do will believe. But as we read these stories about Jesus' power this morning, how have you responded to Jesus' power? How will you respond to Jesus' power? So open up to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Feel free to use our Bibles here if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. We will be doing a lot of reading of Scripture this morning, so be ready to follow along. But before we read, let's pray together as a church. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that the sun is shining. Thank you that days are getting a little bit longer. Thank you that slowly but surely warmth is coming. Father, thank you for what we observe in creation, that we can learn a little bit about you from looking at your world. We can learn a little bit about your stability, your trustworthiness, your power, your wisdom. But, Father, most of all, we learn about you. We come to a saving knowledge of you, not just by looking at the changing seasons or the rising sun 
or mountains or oceans, as beautiful as those things are, we come to saving knowledge of you by reading your word. And so thank you for that privilege and that opportunity this morning to read your word. Thank you for the gospels that tell us about Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we read these stories about Jesus' power, that it wouldn't just be stories we read, they wouldn't just be miracles that we're somewhat familiar with, they wouldn't just be entertaining or fascinating or whatever other kind of adjective can describe one of these stories, but that we would truly understand the power of our Lord, the power of our Christ. Father, again, thank you for today. Thank you for this time we have together. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, starting in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Our first story picks right up from the parables that we read the past couple of weeks. In fact, it may have all occurred on the same day. Jesus and the disciples find themselves in the Sea of Galilee in a boat with several other boats close by. But then that storm suddenly arises, and the disciples, several of whom are experienced fishermen who had likely seen their fair share of storms, fear for their lives. That tells you how intense this storm is. So they wake up Jesus, he rebukes the storm. And he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Well, a few takeaways. Number one, no man is supposed to be able to do what Jesus just did. I mean, who in the world can calm a storm with words? Who can rebuke a life-threatening monsoon the way you and I yell at the dog when it gets in the trash? The dog doesn't even listen to me half the time, but the wind and the waves listen to Jesus. That's how powerful he is. So the disciples wonder, who is this man? Good question. Who is this man? But we already know the answer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the book, Mark says he is the Christ. The Son of God. And his power over nature proves it. In the Old Testament, God alone is described as the master of the wind and the waves and the sea. In Genesis 1, God created the seas. He brought order to what was formless and void and chaotic 
simply by speaking. Psalm 29, verses 3 and 4 put it this way. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Well, apparently, so is Jesus' voice. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So does Jesus. Only God is supposed to be able to do what Jesus just did. So either God isn't the only one with that kind of power after all, or Jesus is God. And Mark goes with answer number two. Another takeaway from the story is that this whole event on the sea appears to have been set up by Jesus. It was his idea to get in the boat and cross the sea that evening. And he didn't appear to be the least concerned when that storm struck. While everyone else is panicking, Jesus is taking a nap. But why did Jesus set this up? Well, presumably so that his disciples and those in the other boats as well could see his power over nature on display. And then one final takeaway from this story is we see that the disciples' response to Jesus' power is less than ideal. We've already started to see some hints in the story that even Jesus' closest disciples can be a little bit thick-headed when it comes to recognizing who Jesus really is. This story tells us that even after this incredible display of divine power, Jesus' disciples are confused at best about who this man really is. The disciples are rebuked because they fear the wrong thing. They rightly recognize the power of the storm. It really is powerful, and it really is scary. But they're wrong in the sense that they fail to recognize the far greater power of Jesus standing in that boat with them. That's story number one about Jesus' power. Story number two starts in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus earnestly 
not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So story number two is one of the most interesting and maybe even one of the strangest stories in the four Gospels. This demon-possessed man is nothing short of a freak. A better word for him is a monster. He's an outcast if there ever was one. Exiled to live among the mountains and the tombs. Treated like a wild animal. And this man isn't just possessed by a demon. He's possessed by many demons. A legion in the ancient world likely numbered between six and 12,000. But even a legion of demons stands no chance against the power of Jesus. Those demons grovel before Jesus. They beg for mercy before Jesus casts them into the pigs and they are destroyed. But once again, a few takeaways from the story about Jesus' power. Number one, this all takes place in Gentile, a.k.a. non-Jewish territory. This region on the other side of the sea, kind of like our version of on the other side of the railroad tracks, was the kind of place that a Jewish person did not frequent. There are unclean people there. There are unclean animals there like pigs, for example. But Jesus' mission is expanding. That's because he is not just the Messiah of the Jews. He is the Savior and Lord of Gentiles as well. He came to save sinners from all nations, all backgrounds, all walks of life. Another takeaway is that the demons recognize Jesus for who he really is. They call him the Son of the Most High God. When you think about it, there's a kind of tragic irony in the fact that the demons on the land have a better grasp of who Jesus is than the disciples in the boat. How do we explain the disciples' blindness? Well, sin does that to you. Sin does that to us. It's only by God's gracious help. It's only by Jesus' power 
that we can truly understand the totality of who he really is. And then finally, one last takeaway. Look at the people's responses to Jesus. When the word got around and the onlooker saw this man who was once a monster, now acting like a man again, they beg Jesus to leave. Maybe they didn't appreciate losing all their livestock. That's good money. Maybe they shared the opinion of the religious leaders back in chapter 3 that Jesus cast out demons by the power of demons. Or maybe they were simply frightened by something they couldn't understand, something they couldn't explain, something clearly more powerful than they were, and they just wanted it to go away. The disciples in the boat were filled with great fear when Jesus displayed his power over nature. And whatever the reason, these people are afraid when they see Jesus' power over demons. The man, on the other hand, isn't afraid at all. This once demon-possessed man longs to be with Jesus. But instead of going along with him, Jesus gives him a mission in that Gentile territory. He's to spread the word of how God has had mercy on him. But the man announces how much Jesus had done for him. Perhaps he now understands that Jesus is God. Final passage, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, And had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And Jesus' disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? In other words, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? But Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, we're going back to Jairus, some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. So stories three and four of Jesus' power are a package deal. We have Jairus on top of the world, powerful, wealthy, respected. But when his daughter gets sick, it all comes crashing down. As a leader of the synagogue, Jairus may have been opposed to Jesus before this story. Many of his colleagues likely were. But Jairus is desperate, so he turns to Jesus for help. But then the story is interrupted by another story. This time, a woman with a flow of blood, who, due to the nature of her bleeding, and due to Old Testament laws about that bleeding, would have been just as much of an outcast as the demon-possessed man running around in the tombs, in chains and shackles. This unclean woman approaches Jesus. And like Jairus, she too is desperate. But she also displays great faith. She's confident that if she can just graze Jesus' robe, then she will be healed. So she reaches out and touches him. And she is healed. Like the disciples in the boat and the people who saw the demon-possessed man, she feared Jesus at first when he actually confronted her. But before she can speak away, Jesus commends her for her faith. But then we turn back to Jairus. And sadly, we discover that his daughter has died. That woman's interruption made them too late. But look at what Jesus says to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. It's not too late for that little girl. Even if Jairus is heartbroken and skeptical... And the people around Jesus mock him. So he raises the little girl from the dead and restores her to her family. Now, a few takeaways from these final stories about Jesus' power. Number one, those who seek Jesus are not disappointed. The disciples woke him in the boat and they were saved. The demon-possessed man fell before him and he was delivered. Jairus begged him for help, and his daughter was raised. The woman who had tried everything touched his robe and was healed. Each one of these people all come to Jesus with some measure of desperation, hope, and even some faith, even if they're not entirely sure about who exactly Jesus is. They might not know the full truth about Jesus, but they recognize his power. And their faith in him is not in vain. And then finally, Jesus is Savior and Lord to many. He's powerful enough to deliver those 
on both sides of the sea. He's powerful enough to deliver those stuck in a storm in the middle of it. He can deliver Jews like Jairus and his family. And he can deliver Gentiles like the demon-possessed man. He can deliver an old sick woman. He can deliver a dead young girl. He can deliver you. And he can deliver me. Because his power knows no bounds. The power of God himself resides within this man. So several stories, all of which display Jesus' divine power. Power over nature. Power over demons. Power over illness. Power over death. Jesus really is who Mark announces him to be. The Christ, the Son of God. Jesus really is the one the demons admit he is. Son of the Most High God. His power proves it over and over and over again. So Jesus is powerful. These stories make that much clear. Not the most controversial thing to say in a church on a Sunday morning. But what does that mean for us? Let's start with a question. Do we really believe that Jesus is as powerful as these stories tell us he is? Do we really believe that Jesus is this powerful? If we answer yes to that question, then there's another question that we need to answer. It's the question that Jesus asked the disciples when they were standing in the boat, water up to their ankles, in a now calm sea. If we really believe Jesus is this powerful, then why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? If we really believe that Jesus is powerful enough to calm a raging storm and still crashing waves simply by speaking, then why are we so afraid? If we believe that thousands of demons beg for mercy as soon as Jesus steps foot on their territory, then why are we so afraid? If we really believe that just grazing Jesus' robe can heal a woman who's been sick for 12 years and has tried everything else, then why are we so afraid? If we really believe that Jesus can take a dead little girl's hand and give her life, then why are we so afraid? That's not to say that scary things won't or don't or can't happen to us. They will. They do. They can. We may face storms of our own that we fear will drown us, either literal or metaphorical. We may suffer when Satan and his demons cause chaos in our world. We too may be subjected to long and even incurable illness. We too have been or will be touched by death, whether by someone we love or someday of us. Those things really are scary. And they really might come our way. But we remember that Jesus is more powerful than all of them. And when we recognize that, those things aren't quite as scary as they were before. So why are you so afraid? When storms strike, when winds blow and waves crash, 
when we are cast out and rejected, when Satan and his demons cause havoc, when illness afflicts us, and even when death comes for us or those we love, we remember that none of these frightening circumstances are too much for Christ. He is Lord over all of them and more powerful than all of them. And even if we don't experience the deliverance that we hope for in this life, the deliverance that these people experienced in the book of Mark, we know that these threats, these dangers, these fears cannot touch us in the next life. And in that sense, we have nothing to fear. As Jesus told Jairus after he heard the news that his daughter had died, do not fear. Only believe. Do not fear. Only believe. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. It's three or four entire chapters of Jesus just talking to the disciples and warning them about what's about to happen and telling them about what will happen after he's gone. And in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, it's ironic that Jesus would say those things right before he's crucified. You can imagine the disciples saying, as Jesus hung on that cross, wait a minute, I thought you said you overcame the world, yet here you are. But the truth is that Jesus' greatest display of power is not calming a storm, it's not casting out demons, it's not healing an illness, it's not even raising a dead girl. Jesus' power is most clearly seen on the cross, where he takes the weight of our sin on his shoulders and the wrath of God in our place, in order that all who believe in him might be reconciled to God. Jesus' power is most clearly seen in the resurrection, when the sin he bore on the cross, the worldly powers who put them there, and the death he experienced on our behalf are all defeated. None of them can match Jesus' power. And so the only appropriate response to this power of Christ is faith. Not just calling him the right titles. Even the demons can do that. Not just fearing him. Not being entertained by him or amazed by him or fascinated by him. Not just turning to him in times of desperation and then going on your way. But believing in him. Trusting him. Turn to him in faith. Turn to him in submission and obedience and worship. And he will not let you down. Now many people have rejected Jesus in the Gospel of Mark up to this point. The religious leaders have rejected him. The Herodians have rejected him. His own brothers have rejected him. Today we can add those people who saw the demon-possessed man after he was healed to the list as well. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, even his own hometown of Nazareth rejects him. In the Gospel of Luke, they were so outraged about Jesus' claims to power that they tried to throw him off a cliff. But I pray that we would not reject him. Rather that we would fall down before him in faith. He will not let us down. 
And because of his power, those who believe in him have no reason to be afraid. So do not fear. Only believe. Why are we afraid? Have we no faith? We do have faith. We trust in Christ. We believe in Christ. He has the power to deliver us. We know he can. We know he does. We know he will. And so we have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for this reassurance of Christ's power in your word. So often we get so consumed with the latest crisis, the latest challenge, the latest hardship, the latest suffering, and we so quickly, so easily forget what we know. We so quickly, we so easily forget what we've learned, what we believe. We talk about how powerful Jesus is. We talk about what he can do for us, and yet when the slightest thing goes wrong in our lives, we so often find ourselves in fear and trembling. But Lord, I pray that we would not fear, that we would only believe. Not just in times of trivial challenges or really small, minor, unimportant hardships, but even in times of legitimate suffering, times when we have every reason to be afraid, When the things that we face really are powerful, the things that we face really are scary, the things that we face really do threaten us, I pray that even in those moments, we would not fear, but we would only believe, that we would trust in you, that we would lean on you, that we would rely on you, that we would place our faith in you to deliver us from those hardships, whether in this life or the next, or even both. Father, again, we love you. We thank you. Give us the grace to recognize Jesus for who he really is, to trust in his power, even when the things around us are frightening. Again, Lord, help us not be afraid, but only believe. We love you. We worship you. We thank you for Christ's crucifixion. We thank you for Christ's resurrection. And Lord, help us be not afraid between now and the time that he returns. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.